If you are making content, no matter what kind of content, you want to get it in front of people. One way to do that is to get it published in high-profile publications. Today we're going to talk about how to do that. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams. This is the show for you if you are a content creator, a content strategist, or someone who needs a better understanding of content to grow their business. Today you're going to hear from Erica Holthausen. When we talk about content, sometimes we're talking video, sometimes audio. Today we're talking about writing. One of the reasons that Erica and I have become friends is that she thinks about writing the same way I think about content. She says, writing is thinking. It's not about how the words get on the page. It's about the ideas that they convey. Erica's business is called Catchline Communications, and she runs an incredible program called Pathway to Publication. Her company partners with visionary leaders to develop that voice and get them published. Today we talk about how to get your ideas and your articles published in high-profile publications. We talk about how to get started writing when you're stuck. She tells me what she thinks of the traditional five-paragraph essay that you probably learned in school. And she gives the cardinal rule for having readers stay engaged with your content. Erica is a deep thinker, but at the same time, a very practical thinker. So welcome, Erica. I'm so glad that you could join me on Grounded Content today. You and I have been getting to know each other for the last couple of years, I guess, pretty well. And thinking about how we communicate is a big part of this whole puzzle. And I think this is where you and I have connected so many times in terms of how you pull together meaning and information, how you do it in an interview, how you do it in a podcast, how you do it in writing, that we found so many parallels. Most of your public discourse is about getting published high profile magazines, journals, that kind of thing. And I imagine most people think that it's all about who you know or getting in with the magazine. But I'm guessing that it's a little bit less of that. And what you teach is something else. Yeah, that used to be the case, right? The The only way you were going to get into some of these publications is if you either had a really good publicist, and you were getting interviewed, or you had some sort of a connection and a huge body of work, clips and samples of your writing so that you could pitch these publications. That is not nearly as true as it used to be. And a big part of why? Advertising. So magazines have always relied very heavily on advertising revenue. The advertising used to show up on the back cover of the magazine, nice and glossy, extremely expensive. It would get right into the hands of the readers. When the internet came along, a lot of magazines sort of I used to write for a number of magazines that don't exist anymore because they thought, oh, the newfangled internet, it's just a fad. Nope, it fundamentally changed everything. And a lot of the advertising revenue moved online. Online advertising revenue requires a lot of traffic. Traffic requires a lot of content. Publications like Inc., Forbes, Entrepreneur cannot possibly create 
the content that they need to drive the traffic that they need to get the advertising revenue that they need. So they could not pay for all of that if they were paying their staff writers and their freelancers. So you have these amazing publications that have a huge need for content on one side, and then you have experts who have information to share and would love to connect with these publications' audiences. So in the best situations, it's a win-win-win. A win for the publication because they're getting the content they need, a win for the experts because they're connecting with the audience that they want to be talking to, and a win for the readers because now I get to hear things both from the perspective of a more journalistic writer and also directly from an expert in the field. Use me as an example. I am doing podcasts about content strategy. That's my area that I'm excited about, that I study. How would I start this process of figuring out, even if this was a good idea for me, and then once I knew that it was a good idea, how to decide where to pitch, how to pitch? I'm asking such a broad question because I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) Yeah. So the first thing is, do you even enjoy writing? If you feel about writing the way I feel about Facebook, which I am not on, don't do it. Um, (laughs) There are a lot of ways to get your name out there, to build authority, to build credibility, to share your ideas with a broader audience. Guesting on podcasts like this is one of those ways. So if writing is something that you absolutely hate to do, this might not be the best platform. So that's the first question. And then it becomes, okay, let's assume that yes, I want to write more and I want to get into these publications and connect with my audience. Then it becomes really looking at first, who is your audience? Who are you trying to connect with? What are your goals for writing for publication? Because nothing that we do to build our authority, our credibility, and raise our visibility should be done just because, well, everybody else is doing it, therefore I'm doing it too. This is why we get along so well. (laughs) Yeah, because like you're just wasting your time. So thinking more about what your goals are for doing this and why you want to do this, that helps you set up the filters that help you choose which publications make the most sense. So for example, if one of the things that you want to do by writing for publication is interviewing other experts in your field, Inc. will allow you to do that. Entrepreneur will not. So that immediately sets up a filter. And that's the big part is identifying all of those filters so that you can pick the publication that's actually the right publication for you, your goals, and your audience. What if your first reaction is, I don't like writing, but I really want to do this? How do you feel about ghostwriters? Ghostwriters are not magicians. Ghostwriters are amazing humans, but they, it is not their job to do your thinking for you. So if you partner with a ghostwriter. Great. They can really help you draw out your ideas, think more deeply. They can help you do all of that and capture those ideas in an article that you can then submit for publication. But if you think that you can just outsource your thinking and your own reputation, you're wrong. The ghostwriter is a ghostwriter, not a ghost thinker. (laughs) Right, right. And it's your reputation at the end of the day. So that you can't outsource. You can partner with a ghostwriter who will help you craft your ideas, but it has to be a partnership. If you just want to outsource it, you're not looking for a ghostwriter. You're just looking for a writer monkey. Well, that's what I was thinking when you first said, if you don't think writing sounds fun, there are people that might have great 
ideas, great strategies, great insights that would be really valuable, and they just writing is not their thing. And so that would be a good partnership. That would be a good partnership. You may also learn that you actually enjoy writing. You know, writing is not what we were taught in school. It's not boring. It's not about the grammar and the spelling. Like, yeah, all of that has to get fixed, but that can be fixed so easily. Writing is thinking. Bob Mankoff is the former cartoon editor for The New Yorker, and he said, it's not about the ink, it's about the think. I love that. Same with writing. I don't care how the words get on the page. If you want to walk around with your cell phone and then have a transcript done, that gives you a great shitty first draft. It's not about how the words get on there. It's about the thinking behind them and then the refining of those words to make it really sing so that a piece of writing standing alone can actually convey the ideas that you want to convey. I love this idea of the shitty first draft and maybe even dictating into your cell phone. What are some of the other tools that people who maybe don't think of themselves as writers can use to I mean, this is something you and I talk about a lot with podcasting. You know, don't just get on your podcast and talk. There needs to be a through line. There needs to be value for the listener. If I don't think of myself as a writer or I haven't written a lot, what are some of the ways that I can get started in thinking about writing well? And by writing well, I don't mean grammar. I mean the things that you're talking about. First, we all write a hell of a lot more than we think we do. Every email that you are sending out, every report you are sending to clients, every thing that you post on social media, we are writing all the time. We just don't always think of it as writing. And some of that is a brain hack. We'll open a fresh new page and the blank page stares at us and suddenly all thoughts like flee our brain. (laughs) (laughs) And and we're like, I have no idea. And we'll obsess over that first line. And that can jam us up. Nine times out of 10, that's what writer's block is. So a few ways to kind of hack that can be sending an email to yourself. Because the email format, we are so used to just like banging out an email and hitting send. That email format is a little bit more casual. So sometimes I have a couple of clients where I will literally send them an email and it's just a question and they reply and that's their shitty first draft. And that's why talking into your phone or talking to transcribe, I'll even say using some AI as a way to get you started. This comes with a whole lot of caveats because there's a reason it's called a shitty first draft. And AI can help you create a shitty first draft, but that's all it's going to create. It is, I don't care how good it gets. It is never going to replace thinking and humans because it cannot do that for you. I was going to say it can't be you and it can't be new, right? I mean, I think. Right. Yeah, it can't be new. It's scraping things from the internet. What it can do that I think is, and I'm fascinated by this, because when AI first came out, I was like, ah! you know, I was pissed off about it, because I was like, this is ridiculous. You can't have a computer replace a human. And you can't. But where it is really helpful is a big part of writing stuff that is insightful, and deep, and meaningful, and not just adding to the noise is reading something and saying, yes, and adding your insights, or yes, but, and adding those insights. It's the nuance that the world needs. We don't need more noise. We don't need more information. We need more insights and nuance that helps us understand things 
on a deeper level. So if you use AI to create that first shitty draft and then you examine it carefully and read it closely and add the yes ands or yes buts or hell knows, that helps to then formulate the ideas a little bit more and bring some insights and further the conversation instead of add to the noise. I hadn't thought of it that way. And I love that because it's really about reacting to the standard message. And it gives you a place to jump off from And it's almost like a conversation, thinking about how it's so much easier sometimes to structure our thoughts and ideas in conversation with someone. And so using the AI to give you sort of the standard message, and that way you can react to it and say, here's my insight, my unique insight. You know, we were talking at the beginning of this interview about everybody's talking about AI right now, and everybody wants to have a big take on what it means. We don't know what it means, but we know that it's going to have an influence And we know it's going to change things. And one of my suspicions is that there is going to be a lot more noise that you need to stand out above. Yeah, we are really, really good at creating noise. Humans excel at creating noise. So being able to look deeper and dive deeper, one of the things that Stephen King says is if you don't read, you don't have the tools to write. You know, for some of us, having that AI be able to create something that we can react to and respond to will help us get out of our heads and get into that conversation. For other folks, and I count myself among these, I will never use AI because it screws up my own system. I have always, 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 always processed the world by writing about it. I'm a heavy journaler. I Anything that happens, I am writing pen and paper to figure out How do I feel about this? What do I think about this? What's going on here? So for me, writing is me having a conversation with myself. Yeah. If that's not the way you're hardwired, then AI can be the other thing that you are having a conversation with. These are a couple of great ways to sort of break the writer's block, whether you're transcribing, whether you're having that conversation with AI, doing the fake email, doing a real email. Once you get that writer's block broken and you get your shitty first draft, how do you go about making sure that you are, you know, I assume it's very similar to a podcast or a video. You've got to grab their attention because if you don't grab attention, nobody's going to read the rest of it, no matter how good it is. You need to make sure that you really deliver on the promise. What are some of the ways that you help people work through getting from shitty first draft to something really deliverable and valuable? Yeah. So a part of that is really understanding how do you structure an article? Because we were all taught the like five paragraph essay in school. The five paragraph essay is shit. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but that ship sailed. The five paragraph essay is garbage. It does not encourage critical thinking. There are a whole bunch of things about it that don't work. And it especially does not work in the business world where you are, it's remembering your reader and putting yourself in the shoes of your reader. Your reader is a business person. They are busy. They are probably juggling too many different things. As soon as they start reading your article, the phone is going to ring or somebody's going to knock on their office door or something is going to happen. So you have to understand what they're going through and make the articles skimmable. The cardinal rule, do not ever, 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 ever waste your reader's time. 
their time is more valuable than yours. Yes, yes, yes. And people will rail against that, but I am telling you their time is more valuable than yours every single time. So if you have a clickbait headline designed to get people to click, and then you don't deliver on what you promised in that headline, you are blacklisted as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I will never read your stuff again because you just lied to me and you wasted my time. And time is the one thing none of us have enough of and we cannot make more of. People try to be super clever with headlines because that gets clicks. Sometimes, but it may not get clicks from the people you actually want to reach. Sometimes a truth in advertising headline is the most powerful headline because if I'm struggling with something and you have some insights about that very thing, you're damn right I'm going to click on it. I don't care if the headline's kind of boring. Boring can be incredibly clear. (laughs) It's like email subject lines, right? If I have somebody that I want to interview on my podcast, the best headline is interview request. And you could say, oh, well, they might not open it because they don't want to be interviewed. Well, then they're not going to open it because they don't want to be interviewed. (laughs) (laughs) Then we saved everybody's time. Yeah. And and that's the same with pitch. Just make it clear. This is a pitch. What is it about? We've gotten so into this desire to be clever and to, I will totally throw BuzzFeed under the bus for this because they are amazing at clickbait bullshit headlines where it's just, you know, we've gotten so used to, we have to be clever in order to get the clicks. But how often have we clicked on something that we thought was going to be about one thing, or we thought it was going to add new insights? And it's like, really, that's all you've got for me? That just wastes time. If you're writing to waste time, don't bother writing. So the other side of this, like I I know having worked in marketing, when you go backwards from the sale, right, you say, I want to make the sale. And in order to make the sale, the person has to click the call to action. In order to click the call to action, they have to read the email. In order to read the email, they have to open the email. In order to open the email, the subject line has to grab their attention. So there's two sides to that. You could have a great product, but nobody's going to find it if you don't grab the attention. How do you weigh that balance in terms of both the subject line and probably your opening paragraph? Oh, God, that's such a good question. Because there are two almost diametrically opposed approaches to it. There is slow growth based on reputation. And that can then build word of mouth. That is the harder way to go. In my opinion, it has a lot more longevity. It is much more sustainable, especially if you are looking for repeat clients or you are looking for great word of mouth in order to build that way. Slow and steady. I am a tortoise. I am not the hare. Slow and steady means that it's really all about building the reputation every single time. So it's less about getting their attention immediately and getting them to buy right now and false sense of urgency and blah, 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 and all of the yelling that happens, which is noise. The hair is more about the noise. Marketing tactics can be used for good or for evil. It depends on how you're going about it. We have all had experiences where we have thought, oh my God, I absolutely have to say yes to this because if I don't, my entire world is going to go upside down. Then we've said yes, and it's been like, really, that's all you've got? It is a balance. I am very much of the tortoise philosophy. I think that there are ways to 
build the business. This is comes back to some of the ROI stuff. I am I am a curmudgeon when it comes to ROI because most of the time I'm saying, well, what's the ROI on measuring the ROI? Because <laughs> usually it's pretty fucking small. Um, <laughs> you know, every once in a while it's really actually really helps drive decisions. But sometimes we're measuring things and it's like, well, you measured it, but does anybody care? Does it have any relevance? Is it helping you accomplish whatever your goals are? I don't know what the answer is. I do know that anytime you think you have, you are possibly crossing a line where it feels like, okay, this has some great sales language because I am trying to sell this thing because we do have to make money. We do have to sell. But have I gone too far? Have I, have I stepped into something where I am either creating a false sense of urgency or I've pushed on those pain points a little too hard and it's no longer empathy? It's like you are actually, you know, it's the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. So if you have gone beyond like, I feel your pain and I feel empathy for you because I understand what you're struggling with to let me push on this even harder. Like if you have gone over to doing harm, you need to take a step back. I feel your pain versus I want to increase your pain. Exactly, exactly. And that's where I think having other people be able to look at it who are maybe on the other side of the spectrum can help because I will tend to be not salesy enough where I won't even say like, hey, I have this thing. There's the whole ladder, the whole set of dominoes, and they end with making your sale. But you're sort of making a mini pitch when you're just trying to get people to read the article. And I'm thinking about that stage, right? So for example, with a podcast, one of the worst things people do is they name all their podcasts. Episode 27, Erica Holthausen is a, you know, no offense to you. Nobody knows who Erica is. Nobody cares what number. That gives people no reason to click through and listen. Versus like, the one thing, you know, you need to know or you'll die immediately. Obviously, that's a bit extreme. But we do need to use some of these techniques efficiently to get people to engage with the content. Are there ways you guide people to, you know, do you talk about opening loops and hooks and things like that? Yeah, talk a lot about writing headlines. So when I started in in the writing world, I never had to write headlines. And I am here to tell you it was glorious because I could have a complete generic vanilla headline and my editor had to do that. I didn't have to do it. And then the world changed. And now, except for I think the New York Times still has a special division of people who do nothing but write headlines and decks. And the deck is sort of that subtitle that appears right after a headline in some publications writing headlines is hard. So my number one, like my surefire tip on headlines is if you're trying to get into a publication, for example, go to that publication, do the research, read all of the headlines on the homepage and on the landing page for the section that your stuff would appear in. Pick out the headlines that really resonate with you and write them down, literally create a swipe file with examples, because that can help guide you. Certain publications love the how-to, certain publications hate the how-to. Some publications, you know, see what's working for them, because with headlines, your first reader is not the end user of that publication. Your first reader is your editor. The second reader is the homepage editor. 
if your headline is really good, not only does it capture your editor's attention, but it captures the homepage editor's attention, which means it shows up, your article shows up on the homepage. And that's where the social media editors pull from. Huge amount of pressure on the bloody headline, and they're probably the hardest thing to write. But going back to your swipe file and playing with it and writing, don't just write one headline and think you're done. Write more headlines than is comfortable. So like 15. Yeah. Coming up with 15 headlines for one article is hard and it's a royal pain in the butt. But it gets you to break your own brain so that you're thinking a little bit more creatively and thinking about what am I really trying to say here? What do I want the the reader to walk away with from this piece? You know, when when you have an article that you've written, you want your reader to be like, hey, Marion, this article is great. What do you want them to say? When I share my art, this article with Marion, what do you want me to say about it as to why I think Marion needs to read it? That's your headline, title, and your lead right there. And they're all repetitive and they work together to get people to read further and further into the article. I just have been reading this book called Save the Cat. Are you familiar with it? No. It's a screenwriting book. And the idea of the Save the Cat, they're talking about this idea that you have the character save the cat in the first few seconds so you know they're nice, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But um, the writer talks about writing the logline. And I think... Similar to the headline, he tells a story of a writer who had a script and he told the writer, go back and fix the logline. And they had a really hard time. But when they finally landed on the logline, that made them change the whole script and the whole script got better. Do you find that's the case with a good headline? Like sometimes it gives you clarity about what you need to deliver on? Yes. Less clarifying the headline. So yes, and. A good headline I always start with a working headline and I don't worry too much about it. Before I've even written the article, I start with a working headline because it it lets me figure myself out. But even before then, I, I do what's called a SOAR analysis. So you look at who does this communication of whatever style it is? Who does this article serve? So who's the audience? What is the objective of this article? You have a point for writing it. Otherwise, don't write it. What is the action you want the audience to take away. For articles that are written for third-party publications, this is not a call to action. This isn't a content marketing thing. This is, do you want them to now go have that difficult conversation? Do you want them to now go research this piece? Do you want them to try this technique that you have for hosting better meetings? So what is the action that you want them to take? And then finally, everything we do reflects on us. So what is the reputation you want this to build. And when you start with that, and you know what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish, that can then influence what the title is, the deck, the whole shebang. So I start with a working title after I have that down, then I write my shitty first draft, and then it's going back and it's it's rewriting and refining. And that's where you're really focusing on a damn good title If the publication uses a deck, which is that subtitle, making sure that that is really good, that it is adding to without blowing the whole thing wide open. And then your lead, which is your first line. And, you know, again, a lot of that is read the publication that you are writing for and start to pick apart 
those articles, especially the articles that are written by staff writers and freelancers, because you'll see how they are using this. All journalistic articles are written exactly the same way. So, you know, different writers can have a more nuanced style, but the elements are always there. The ingredients are the same. So start picking it apart and seeing, oh, why did they choose this lead instead of something else? Why is this the headline? If the article is humorous, they chose also a humorous headline. So it's also figuring out how they all work together and really dissecting it. And that makes you better and better at being able to do it for yourself. One of my pet peeves in the podcasting world, people say, it's all about story. It has to be a great story. Well, yes. And there's no story in this episode. We're talking about ideas that it's a different podcast. So do you teach that articles need to have story? And if they do, what made me think of that is that, you know, do you start when you're about to fall off the cliff and then back up and tell the story? You know, <laughs> how, do you, how do you think about structuring the article in that way? Yeah. So in business writing, go back to imagining the business person who is reading the article. In business writing, you tell them what you're going to tell them. That's the headline, the deck, and the lead. Then you tell them. That's the body of the article. And then you tell them what you told them. So it's not this lovely arc. And then there's this like mind-blowing experience. You have a thousand words. You have a thousand words and you have an audience who just wants to know the answer. They don't need a once upon a time, there was a girl named Marion. Nobody cares. <laughs> they want the information that is going to make their life easier. They want something that is actionable advice that they can take and apply. Where story can be helpful in this is if as a part of the article, you also tell the story of a client that you worked with or a situation at your office that you dealt with and how that influenced you finding this solution or trying this solution. Or demonstrates how it could work. Yeah, that's a story that really helps and really adds to it. But the once upon a time in a thousand words, you don't have the time if you want to be really valuable. So yes, story matters, but we've gotten so into the, the pendulum swung too far in the story direction. And it's like, start with them falling off the cliff. Oh, honey, this is an office. There is no cliff. Nobody's falling off the damn cliff. I could start my accounting article with that morning. I thought we were going to have to declare bankruptcy. <laughs> you could. Yes. And some of the readers would be like, whoa, what's going on? And some readers would be like, oh, God, she's telling a story, not telling me how they fixed it. So that's the other part is knowing the audience. There is this whole concept of narrative nonfiction, where story is incorporated very much and done well. It is beautiful and brilliant. And it pulls you along. Most exceptional journalists struggle with that form. As a business expert, your expertise is giving other business people actionable things that they can take away that will make their life easier. You don't need to try to win a Pulitzer. <laughs> you don't need to be Bob Woodward. You can just be you because they're not reading it for the Bob Woodward experience. Some interviews that just would not be valuable. I mean, the way I go about it in the podcast, again, this is a show about ideas. I'm very interested personally in Erica as a person, but 
that's not what my audience has come to expect. I have this idea of the promise you make to your listeners, right? You keep that promise. Yes. 100%. Same with the articles. The promise that you are making, you keep that bloody promise. Otherwise, you wasted my time. And you lied to me to boot, which means that's like two black marks against your name and we're done. <laughs> You've been exploring this mm -hmm. idea of a body of work. How should creatives, especially people who do it, whether they do it for a client or for themselves, how should they think about a body of work? Is your body of work just everything you've ever done? I mean, that feels sort of overwhelming. It no. It like a lot of stuff. It can't be everything you've ever done. There's a lot that I have done that has nothing to do with the reputation that I'm trying to build, with how I am trying to build authority and credibility with my business. If it's everything I've ever done, it confuses your audience. Right. And they don't know what to do with you. So the fact that I do things like bookbinding and I'm an amateur printmaker, I care deeply about that. My friends know about it, but it has nothing to do with my business. So that's a great question because it's one of the challenges for people who are multi-potentialites and they have a whole bunch of different interests. So I actually use a forest analogy for what a body of work actually is. And it has to be a defined ecosystem. So when you think about a forest, you think about the big tree canopy. That's the overarching umbrella. That's the big idea. That is the thing that you want to be known for. And then there's what's called the mycorrhizal network. It is the fungal network under the forest floor that connects all of the trees to all of the different things. So explain to me, obviously, I know you're not telling me I'm a fungus, but <laughs> tell me. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of people get confused by that part of the body of work. We forget that we bring something to the body of work. Our body of work, the things that we write about, that we talk about, that we you know, create videos about, is our perspective. So the thing that connects all of the topics and the themes and makes that come alive and nurtures all of that is us. It's our experience-based expertise. It's our perspective and point of view. It's why different people can have a body of work on the exact same topic, but they're coming at it from a completely different perspective and with completely different experiences. And that's what makes it valuable. That's the value. The, the added noise, the more information is not valuable. The how your experience and perspective has shaped this, that's the place that no computer, no AI, no other person can replicate. You and I have connected in so many ways around the parallels between building a podcast and this work. And I talk about the five P's, right? And the first one is purpose, which we talked about. Why are you writing these articles, right? The second one is, I call it point of view. And the idea is there could be 500 podcasts that are about craft coffee roasters, but what makes yours different, right? What is it about your voice, your take, you know, how you structure it, how you think about it? that's different. Because otherwise, as you said, there is no value to it because it is noisy out there. And it sounds very Pollyanna-ish, but the truth is it's the only thing that you can guarantee is not already being done. It's sort of the only place you can find a hole that needs to be filled. You have to be savvy. You have to know what the conversation is that is happening about this so you know where you can add to it and where your perspective and point of view and experience can shed a new light and can dig a little deeper and add more nuance. So we've touched on it a little bit with how we think about headlines, 
and how we think about grabbing attention. But I want to wrap up by asking you, as a writer, how do you think about the line between persuasion and manipulation when it comes to copy? Yeah, that is such a good, rich, deep, meaty conversation that I will probably write about later today so that I can process it further. Sometimes that line is finer than other times. And that is where it's really taking some time after you have written something, because we are always trying to persuade. And some people would argue that persuasion is by definition manipulation. I would not. I think manipulation is not caring about the other person and what is in their interest and what they are trying to accomplish. Persuasion is helping them to come to a conclusion or to move in a direction or to try something new that might be outside of their comfort zone, but that you truly believe is of service to them. It's a lot about hot takes. Everybody likes to do a hot take because it gets a lot of attention. But are you adding to the noise or do you have something that's really valuable to say? And is what you're saying something that is how you want to be known? Am I trying to scare the crap out of somebody? Because that's manipulative. Am I pretending that there is a big, huge sense of urgency when really, eh, not so much? That can be really manipulative. So taking that step back and looking at it again. And if you don't have time to take a step back, phone a friend. Like have somebody else look at it and tell them what your concern is, that you want to make sure that you are not crossing this line from persuasive to manipulative, and ask them to look at it from that perspective. That is such a good answer. Thank you, Erica. This was really great. I think it's going to really help people who are trying to decide whether writing is for them, and if they're thinking about it, how to think about it. Yeah, I feel like this is my first full professional podcast appearance, because it's you. (laughs) So I'm like, ooh, okay, this is good. So I'm glad that I had some chances to practice with people who are not you before. (laughs) Don't waste your reader's time. Don't waste your reader's time. That is the key to all great content. Podcasters, are you listening? Don't waste your listeners' time. Video editors, don't waste the viewers' time. None of us want our time wasted. Respect your audience's time. That's the ultimate takeaway for me from this conversation with Erica. Writing is thinking. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. You can find Erica at catchlinecommunications.com. I love hearing from you. I'd love to hear what you think about Erica's ideas. Reach out to me on Instagram. I'm there at madmotion. Or you can find me on my website at madmotion.com. See you next time.